Hi, Amelie. Can we talk about how my daughter's turning three on Monday? In the week? Oh my gosh. Don't say that word. <laughs> what is happening? I'm down there, like getting Jesse's jams on. I'm like, where did she go? She's <laughs> she's hanging with us. She's hanging with what did you ask Santa for? Ariel. Oh, what else? That's what it. else did you ask Santa for? Papa Chalky's Oh, I got her little voice. Do you think Santa's going to bring it? Oh, you better watch out. You better well, not cry. We have a Santa cam. And Ari and said to the camera, out. I don't like being on camera. Mommy, do we have an elf that watches us? Say snitches get stitches, right? Snitches get stitches. Hello, and welcome to Table for Five with no reservations. Take a seat at the table for a fresh, sweet, salty, tart, and pleasantly bitter conversation. Thank you for taking a seat at the table. Tonight we have a fun Q&A episode. Questions that people submitted to us and we are going to answer them. We will list their names. Some are going to be anonymous. And tonight I have Jen Dunn. Hello. Rachel Flanagan. Hey everyone. Kim McIsaac. Hi there. Jamie Ramos. Hello. And I'm Tabitha Cabrera. And we are going to start with a question from Carrie Cariello. She was recently on our Storytellers episode. You can find the links to her page there. Uh, her question is, what do you want the world to know about your child? Uh, I want the world to know <laughs> that my daughter, Celie Flanagan, has a lot of awesome packed into this tiny little person. And she's trying to figure out how to be that source of power and excellence and razzle dazzle and like malarkey all at once in this world. She's super cool. She's super affected by a lot of things that make every day hard. And we're just two girls doing the best we can. And we've got her dad alongside us. I want the world to hear about her. Love it. What about you, Kim? Um, I would want the world to know that my daughter's just a girl. She's just a girl like any other daughter who has good times and has hard times. She laughs. She is funny. She lifts you up. She's sweet. You know, just she's just like anybody else, except in her world, it's harder to do the things that everybody does in this world with E. So there's a lot of anxieties that come along with stuff. There's a lot of difficulties, sensory overloads, confusion that makes her navigating this world really difficult. But underneath it all, she's just a girl. Love it. Know. Jamie, what do you want the world to know? I want the world to know that my son, Jesse, is very sweet and funny and that he does struggle. I think one of our biggest problems is that there's a perception because he's so quiet and I get this a lot and he doesn't look autistic, which makes no sense to me, but that he is trying really hard to wherever he's at and do whatever he's doing. And he's a very sweet and loving kid. And then in other ways, he's just trying to figure it out, I guess. I don't know. How about you, Jen? Um, I think like everyone, I just want people to know how amazing my daughter is, how joyful and funny. She's so funny. She is. Funny. And and just that, you know, like Kimmy said, like Jamie said, like Rachel said, there's just so much anxiety that gives, I think, a different perception of her because so often she's bound in that anxiety. But underneath it all, like Kim said, she's just a girl. She's just a, a, a funny, funny little girl. And she can sing and she's sassy and she's, she's a beautiful voice and mm, she she's does. just 
very theatrical and she just I wish people could see that side of her we see it yeah, yeah. we do. see it I would say I want the world to know about my kids that you have to come to them you yes. have to meet them in their space take the time to get a little closer to get a little patience meet them at their level and if you watch you'll see some incredible things happening in that space. Yeah. It takes effort. It takes patience and understanding. And we want you there. We want you to be part of that. So that's what I would say about what I want the world to know about them. They're both beautiful, amazing, spirited children. And there is a particular magic that they hold that others don't have and we are lucky to have that opportunity to see it and be there i love that thank you carrie that was great the next one is from billy flanagan from (laughs) flanaville what do you think is the biggest fan what is the best advice you've received about raising kids with special needs and i just want to preface with we know that some people don't like the term special needs we're not getting into that in this episode it will be in future episodes so stay tuned don't give up hope oh I love and it was from the lady i threw out of my house the first woman that ever said autism i threw out told her never to come back to my house again but she said do not give up on your hopes and dreams for her Mm. this doesn't change them it just alters them do not give up Mm. i love that that. thank you christine i hope you i thought her name was christine but i didn't want her name was christine yeah right out out the front door what about you, Rachel? Yeah, you know, I, I don't know if we've really received this so much or like in, in these words really, but we really just try and like honor Celie. And if that's her make a choice, her outfit, like her struggle or her, you know, what she needs at the moment, like we'll just stop. She's the boat and we adjust the sails. Mm, we just all that. just keep moving. Yeah, you know? love that too. What about you, Jamie? Just one of my favorite things was when we were trying to figure out where Jesse was at and whether or not it was autism, we had gone through diagnosis uh, through this school through the education system here and they basically told us that he was borderline and the people that evaluated him did not think of his autism at that time but then he had gone into preschool and his special ed teacher said something to me she's the one who just came out and said to me oh this is clearly autism and she's like and this is how he does things and that's okay and for some reason in my head like that was such a big moment to just be like that's how he is and that's okay like mm-hmm. I was fighting this battle the whole time of like fighting the diagnosis of autism and just saying like, oh, my kid does things this way and we're going to meet him here and that's okay. Like very simple, but like it was a huge moment for me, a big like click of like, oh, it's okay. This is just who he is. Yeah. What about you, Kim? I would say when she was diagnosed, this was actually from the doctor who gave us a diagnosis and he said like kind of right before we were leaving, he said, you know, this is in some people believe differently nowadays and that's fine but this is something that like I've kind of always gone back to which is this doesn't define her she is the same little girl she was yesterday she's your daughter like not you know nothing none of that is changing all of that is the same this is a part of her but this isn't all that she is she's gonna go and there's gonna you know she's gonna change a lot and but I just went back to that a lot of times through the process. I don't really think that meant too much to me that day. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I was kind of like overwhelmed and wanted to get out of that 
space immediately, but it's something that I did go back to at different times of struggling. We've heard that a version of that too. It, it is comforting. Like the label is not going to change her. It helps you access help. Yeah. I think we all hear that, but it takes a while to like really understand that. I think for me, the best advice I ever got was don't let anyone tell you who your child is. Someone told me that we have so many people telling us all kinds of things about our kids and don't let it be part of your own narrative if you don't believe it to be true. I will top that off with my little piece of advice that I'm going to give everybody because there wasn't a lot of advice given when we were coming up with this. And that would be, don't ever let someone limit your child. Don't ever let someone tell you your child will never do this or can never do that because my child has blown me away time after time after time after time through the years. So, I mean, if I listen to what people said and, and it was what they thought and I think they try to help you by giving you like, you know, a little bit of, realism which I'm sure at certain times you know I thought my kid was going to go to regular kindergarten (laughs) I mean I probably needed a little bit of realism but don't let anyone limit your child nobody can see the future oh I love that this one is more of a practical question from an anonymous listener car safety tips so this is a question about any suggestions for car safety that we have learned over time we are currently we've got two different car seats in our car Celie is nearing seven. She's tall and a skosh heavier for her age. So I'm not sure how she would relate to your, your children if you're listening. But right now we have a booster with a normal car seat belt over on the passenger side, back passenger side. And on the other, we've got a booster with a car harness that is made by, um, we can put the link in the the description, but it's like easy car harness. It zips up the back and the like restraint is a certain way. And basically she's in a five point harness and it has like a thing as a child seat would when they're little to like attach to the frame of the car. And it's rather difficult to get out of. uh, So they say we struggle by only using one because they like burn out quickly with Celie. There might be a time when she wants that super squeeze and that might help us be safe. So we leave the one in the car, but I don't know. It's tough. The, the thing that we're doing that's most successful right now is that we're bribing every single day that if she leaves our house front door safely gets into the car, safely gets into her center safely comes out of her center and makes it back to the house. That's four little jaunts. And we could put an errand in to push it. She gets a thing from an advent calendar and literally I'm buying them up ladies. I'm buying them up because having like a little treasure is enough to get her to like remain safe in these little jaunts. I I think that's a great answer. We're still learning car safety. So I don't really have any practical tips to provide to our listeners. Also, we're failing every week. Like it takes Billy and I both being in the car. I'm sorry to jump back in, but like we are not doing great. I think I I have a probably very unpopular opinion and and I want to be clear. I'm not promoting put your four-year-old in a front seat. Our car safety was so bad. It didn't, you could have strapped her in with golden chains back there. She wasn't staying in her, Mm -hmm. in her car seat. So rather than her literally not being in a car seat, I pulled over one day and I to a police officer in a parking lot and I said, can she sit in the front seat? He said, yeah, we don't recommend it, but turn the airbag off. 
so that it doesn't, because she's so little, and put her seatbelt on her. He said it's a lot better than her floating around in the back. And I want to be clear, that was a last resort of us not being able to be in a car. I don't have a husband. Yeah. I am by myself. So it was just her and I getting in a car. I had to get her to school or to yeah. daycare, you know, or I had someone come to our house. Celie's so big right now that we can't cope with much more danger in the back seat or anywhere in our vehicle. Like, her being in the back means that she can kick me in the head. I was her just going to say, right can means still that, go forward. You know, I mean, I don't know. It, like, we're close. Uh, it's well, tough stuff. Like, like Jen said, if you get to that place where you need to resort to that, just turn off that front airbag because I've had a friend whose kid was hit in the face with the airbag and it's pretty, it's a damage. That's what the police officer said. He said, turn off the airbag. She's too little to, you know, turn it off. And he said, we of course don't recommend it, but it's not here. It's not legal here. It's, you know. Yeah. So I know this person is probably asking about things like that. Like your kids getting out of car seats and stuff, but I just like to always put this out there for people. (laughs) Like I'm big on like, if you get an accident, have, I have a folder in my car that's in the front pocket in front of my child that tells information to the police officers. Like my kid doesn't, won't communicate with you most likely. This is who you can contact. These are things he likes. If you need to keep him engaged, he may run off. This is his doctor. This is his, I have all that information in my car. If there's an emergency, we get a car crash and I or my husband are incapacitated. The emergency people can see that right away. And I have like a giant like sticker thing. Like That's so smart, Jamie. That is smart. I, I have a sticker, but I've never done that. It's amazing. That laminator I'm, one. I love that. Yeah, that's and then fantastic. Also, I have, so these are not car seat people will tell you these are not safe or whatever because they're not everything you're supposed to put on a car seat has to come with the car seat or whatever but like the strap on like the seatbelt covers what are those called yeah yeah they're like a velcro-y cover yeah a seatbelt cover that has my son's name and his diagnosis on it yeah it's not ideal because they say not to do that but in that situation what's more important to me you know if we're in an accident it's more important to me that they know that my child might run off or my child might not Absolutely. Might at them or freak out. Like, even if I'm pulled over and my son is screaming at them, I want them just to be able to look and be like, oh, this child's autistic. This is why this is happening. Yeah. yeah. And our kid, I, a lot of our kids lose language in like stressful situations, you know, yeah. like even if they are verbal, they, their language disappears when it's like in a high stress. And as my son gets older and bigger, I will always have that seat on his seatbelt strap. Yes. Right now it's on a car seat, but I will always have it on his seatbelt. Yeah. That's great. We have that as a stick. Part of that is a sticker. Yes, and we have it on our house too. That is, these are great tips. I'm going to do that laminated sheet though. Never yeah. even thought of that. JL Marshall Publishing should put one together. Okay. This is from Renee over at Life with Opal. She, okay. yes, asked, what is the one thing you remember from your child's diagnosis day? How about you, Kim? I think I talked about this on another episode, but I remember just sitting there because I was told by many professionals that my daughter couldn't possibly have autism because she was so social and she was so happy. In what I had read about autism, I couldn't possibly wrap my head around that. That wasn't my daughter at all from what the description was at the time. So when I went there, I don't know what I thought they were going to say, but that's not what I thought it was going to be. And I just remember sitting there with him talking and saying, you know, your daughter has autism. I remember my husband was kind of like sitting in a chair, not like next to me, but he was like faced me and I was faced the doctor. And I just remember like tears were pouring down my face. My husband was like stone cold, like no expression, no emotion. And I couldn't look at him because then I don't like, I don't think I would have been able to like 
even pull myself together. I pretty much just remember that one thing that I had said earlier that the doctor said I didn't really remember much else. You know, they were sending all the recommendations to early intervention. She was still under three and it was really just a, sh a shock. It was just, I don't remember the drive home. I don't remember any of that stuff. I mean, it also was like 22 years ago, but I just remember like wanting to get out of there. Like I was just in disbelief. We knew it was like more than a speech delay, but I, I don't know what I thought, but that's not what I saw coming. I feel like just that shock that, you know, almost like a sucker punch. What about you, Jamie? So for me, ours got delayed a little bit because my son broke his arm like literally the night before we were supposed to have a meeting to get the diagnosis. So ours was a virtual. And so I was at home sitting next to my husband. I don't know. I just remember. So we had the main like psychologist guy on the call and then, but who evaluated Jesse was, I mean, she, I think she was like training. I don't know exactly a psychologist but just both of them they were being very professional and clear but I just felt it was like so cold and just the way I'm grateful that I had joined the supporter group we all had met in before because I um, understood a lot of the things that were being said but they basically told us at the evaluation that it was autism um, but they had to like finalize all the numbers and everything and let us know so the severity and then also like the accompanying diagnosis I was not prepared for. So I was just very taken back. And I even like tried to ask some questions. And then I just, I just felt like overall it was very cold. We, I didn't get anything like Kimmy got, like, this is still your child. I got, this is autism. We recommend ABA. And I asked, I was like, well, do I follow up with you guys or anything? And there was like a big nope, unless you need something from us. Yeah. And, uh, then I went to see little woman, my brother and sister. And I cried the whole movie. <laughs> even the non-sad parts. So that's, that's such a, such a crazy movie too. What about you, Rachel? You know, when C got diagnosed with autism, we were like, oh, we didn't know that that, you know, I've said this before, that it's like that constellation of quirks and idiosyncrasies was autism. Like those were her markers on the spectrum. Many of the things that we wondered about her. And I felt very much like, oh, cool. Now there's something that I can look up and maybe there's people that are going through this thing. And then I can like figure out what's going on here. I was not stunned, but I will say that when her mental health diagnosis started like stacking up and then changing, God, there was like this guilt deep, deep, deep within me that I could not identify these parts of my daughter or didn't see them there. And like, you know, when they diagnosed her with anxiety and depression. They were close together, but separate diagnosis times, you know, a couple of weeks or whatever. And I felt very much like them describing this as a veil over her, like, you know, a veil that you'd look through to see her actions of her life or her choices or her struggle or her strengths, like Holy Christmas. I mean, just to describe it that way. And then when depression fell off and she was diagnosed with bipolar, I just like, good Lord, knowledge is power. When you know better, you do better. We're learning. But the sort of like, you can't help her. You need to build a team to help yourself. Really, like there are just some defining moments about like discovering more about my daughter that it really hit us. You know, it's hard. I think for me, when Nixon got his final formal medical diagnosis, so many words, we got an at-risk diagnosis first and then you know, months later, I didn't expect them to give us an autism diagnosis. That sounds stupid, but I didn't. I thought it was going to stay at risk, you know, in the at risk category. And I remember like so many details about that room, about him, about 
what I was wearing, the feeling of the air conditioning blowing on me, you know, just like vivid, vivid memories of that. I have no idea what that lady said to me after she said those words. No idea. I do not know what she said to me. I know she handed me some paperwork. I remember feeling like Kim, where I just was like suffocating in the room. Like I need to get out of here. I can't listen to what you're saying to me right now. Give me whatever you need to give me. I want to get out of here. And then for my daughter on her diagnosis day, I remember taking a breath and knowing that this possibly is what was coming and the sun shining on her face and taking her in and walking in there by myself, both times feeling hopeful that it they wouldn't be telling us that, which I don't think many people talk about. You know, it's not that like I'm ashamed of my children's being or who they are. Mm -hmm. It was the fear of not knowing. We knew more with Nora than we did with Nixon, but you still carry this like feeling that it might not be, you know, because you don't want your kids to struggle. I think you even, you go to the doctor, like to see if this leg is broken. You go to the doctor to see if this backache is a thing. You go to the doctor to see if this speech thing is maybe possibly like when you go to the doctor for a diagnosis of anything or an assessment of anything, it's still like a, a possibility, like a moment of yeah. possibility. Like that's why you're on the quest, right? And it's, it's speculative, you know, it's based on their observations yeah. of your child. And I think I was um, ashamed for feeling that way too. I felt a little ashamed, like, you know, what kind of mother feels that way about a piece of who their children are you know, but these are complicated feelings, you know, at the Mm. time, at the time it was coming in waves. I think as I look back now, like there's definitely some vivid, it's one of those life-changing when things slow down, they just slow down and you you can feel certain things and you can't comprehend other things. It's very crazy uh, experience, you know, and I think that happens in a lot of circumstances in life. Uh, like you, Tabitha, I remember certain things about the day. And I went in knowing she had autism just because it was just glaringly apparent at this point. She was two and a half. She had zero words. She didn't. I had a whole bunch of my friends and I, we were pregnant at the same time. So you get all our baby. And it just it just became apparent. Um, and Kaya's dad had four children. And so he had been saying since she was six months old, she really take her to the doctor, which pissed me off so I had I just I knew I had done every single online night test in the middle of the night you know tried to fudge those answers as much as I could but enough red flags came up every time somewhat (laughs) yeah sometimes Um, and yeah Kaya being a girl they weren't sure actually when she was diagnosed it was the psychologist Kaya was the last patient um, that she diagnosed before she retired And she just kept saying, well, you know, early intervention doesn't hurt her anyway. So, you know, we'll see later on down the road. But so they went ahead and gave me that diagnosis. I'm going to be clear. There's no question. My daughter has autism, but she was a girl. She actually didn't have any of the glaring red flags when Mm -hmm. they did the ADOS or whatever. Yeah. Um, The only thing that really stuck out is she didn't know how to appropriately play with the spoon. And I remember screaming in my head, spoon, like it just mix in a mixing bowl so that sticks out I remember the two chairs side by side I remember the chairs they were Mm. white chairs with no sides just like white chairs yes Um, I remember the room she went in for with the SLP it was really small I remember 
I felt like we were in a closet. And I remember getting in the car and my friend Barbie came, my best friend Barbie came for the, they brought us back a second day yeah, actually. They didn't even do it the first day. They brought us back a second day because they really just weren't sure. Anyway, long story short, we leave. We went to a restaurant. I asked, we were seated in the far back. The waitress came and I ordered a drink and I said, and just keep them coming. And we sat there for three hours. I didn't even finish one drink and her and I didn't say a word, not a word. And I sobbed, I sobbed for three hours. Not a word was spoken at the table. I didn't want to talk. You know how I get. Um, I didn't even finish my drink. We left, she drove me home and that was it. I actually know that's not true. I went back to work, to work in the afternoon after that. That was that, I remember that day, bits and pieces of it vividly. Yeah. I don't remember the drive out of the parking lot to the restaurant. Like I remember yeah. pulling up. Mm-hmm. I remember like you, Tabitha, I felt um, a shame in myself for feeling mm-hmm. the way I felt. I was very scared to tell Kaya's death. Not scared, I didn't, you know, not that he would love her any less or anything. But he had four neurotypical children and then our child has autism. So that was a really strange feeling. And I felt a lot of guilt for feeling that way Yeah, because I felt like it was sort of a betrayal. Like on my part, I felt really bad about it, but it was just, again, the unknown of all of it. I didn't know anything about autism. It's my long drawn out answer. (laughs) No, I like that. I think that like, there's so many things that when we talk about the isolation, I think there's so many things about the feelings that make you feel isolated. Like you don't want to talk about these things because you don't want to feel a certain way about what's happening with your children. You just want to be this conqueror of all things, this mother, this embracer. And I think it's unfair to ourselves that we don't openly speak about some of these feelings that come naturally Mm -hmm. and we shouldn't be ashamed about it. You know, we shouldn't be ashamed about it. So and I'm going to say, I was freaking devastated. Absolutely heartbroken. Of course, I was 22 years old, so I was very young. It's hard. It's a hard thing to wrap your head around. I, I think the whole thing in general, because it's so unknown, right? Mm-hmm. So you don't, That's I mean, it. nobody knows the future. I get that. Yeah. But, and I always, it always, it, it does come off condescending. It's just a different worry. A typical child will, you know, kind of the typical path. You go to school, you go to college, you get married, you know, you do all those things. I can only speak for my my daughter. My daughter will live with me for the rest of every breathing moment of my life. And I would not have it any other way. I want to be clear. I'm not upset about that. It's the worry about after. And that is a worry that you don't have with a typical child. They are capable of caring for themselves. So I think that is all wrapped up into the fear of the unknown. Yeah, it's and all I think, fear. I think yeah. all those hopes and dreams and expectations are ripped off like a band-aid like just ripped right off in one swoop like I felt like my daughter was being taken away from me and and, and she wasn't because this wasn't what her path was set out to be but of course I didn't think of it like that at the time you know it just it just felt like part of her was being taken away from me you could see it in her you could see it in her eyes you could see it in her not being aware of her surroundings like you it physically seemed like that was actually happening on top of emotionally it was happening to me as it was happening to her so that's a lot for anyone to process I think of what Celie has to go through in dealing with all this stuff yes but Billy always tells me in like sweet nurturing way, this is her life. You're right. Like this is her life. This is what she deals with, but she doesn't know certain parts are supposed to be easier. Just like you realize, and she does, you realize like, oh my God, this math problem is really challenging. When the heck am I ever going to use algebra? Like, you know, when you're faced with a challenge, but she doesn't know that things come easier or harder or that 
some people aren't bothered by their pants. They, she just thinks like, oh, that person's ticked off must be a sock issue. <laughs> yeah. with my situation where my daughter has siblings i and um, i say that loosely because even like in Seely, like she doesn't have a sibling to look at but she knows right. it, part parts of Seely's struggle is that she's like so up down in her struggle and abilities each day it changes so she can't do something because of her disability that she could do 10 minutes ago or 30 days ago or whatever and she can know that difference and that's brutal too like yeah. But this in, is still yeah. the life that she's given. And this is still the lens she's looking through. She sees me have hard days and make mistakes. Right. Mm-hmm. And obviously, like with Alyssa, she doesn't necessarily know that like she should have a drive. I mean, probably know she does know, but I don't think she knows that like I oh, want I'm brownie. Sure I want driver's license. What the hell, mom? But like some kids do know that. You know, some yeah. kids. So it's it it's just so it's so different for everybody. Yeah. We have time for one more question. We will carry over these questions to our next question and answer episode. So send us your additional questions after listening to this. The more questions, the more we'll answer people. So mm-hmm. keep them coming. I love this question. This is from my niece, Corey Rodriguez. She asked, how do you keep from giving up when you feel like you're actually drowning. You look at your child, you look in their eyes and you just keep going. Sometimes I look at that kid and I'm like, I'm giving, <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving up. It's so sweet. I'm like, you ever. Or you wait till they go asleep and then you look at them. <laughs> <laughs> and they're calm and peace. Oh boy, that's a hard one. I usually go in the shower and have a really good cry. And then you just carry on. On we go. There's really no choice. And there's, and it's just, there's there's no choice no choice yeah I think sometimes you don't realize how strong you truly are until you're out of the thick of it until you're moving forward until your clouds have parted and then you know I think there's certain circumstances in your life that will always come back and feel painful and will always be there floating in the background but I think the other parts of life the good the happy the smiling babies, the little hands in yours, the giggles in the background, all of that carries you through that kind of clouded darkness that is natural to feel when you have hard times, you know? And sometimes it just takes really just convincing yourself to put your feet on the ground the morning when you wake up and Mm -hmm. move forward. It really does. You just convince yourself that first step is the most important and then you keep moving. You have to get up. You have to get up. You've got to get up and feed your kids. (laughs) You've got to get up, you know? Yep. Really, really hard. You don't imagine at all this is what motherhood's going to be like and not, I mean, there's still beautiful moments with all of our kids, like mostly great moments, but the really hard, it's really hard. And I- I think I said this in the mental health episodes, when moms do give up or you read stories about that stuff, it's, I hope I would never do what they did. I hope I would never get to that place at all. But part of you understands it more than you would have ever before. Ever wanted to. Yeah. Ever wanted to. It's because of that fear of the unknown, Jane. It's right. And, And we did talk about that on one of our episodes. And I said, I, I had kind of all but said that and it's an odd thing for someone to hear without understanding the life that we live you know and that sounds so 
you know, what was me, but it's, it's, it's true. You know? Well, you say it all the time, Jen, like, you know, you don't know this life until you lived it. And like, if I had read an article like that before I had kids, or even when my son was like a baby and, you know, I would have judged that person and be like, that's a horrible mother, horrible person. But now we just know it's very, very hard. And it literally is like Tab said, like, I've got to get up. I've got to keep doing this, but it's a lot harder than you would ever imagine. Yeah. Well, sometimes when you're in the thick of it, the hardest of the hardest, people say one day at a time, it's one hour at a time. You're just getting through that day. You're just getting through that day until somebody passes out. Somebody can take over and then, you know, you regroup. And then sometimes you go right back at the same thing the next day. And it's the same thing day after day. So it's just getting through each hour, you know, and, and then something's got to give something gives eventually where they either get out of the phase or go into another phase. I really find in the hardest of times is there's usually some like kind of progress or some kind of something happens afterwards. And in my mind, I'm always like, okay, something good is going to happen after this because that's just the way the, this is the way the pattern is. Well, and I really think in life in general, and I think I've said this before, that you can convince yourself that you can do anything for a minute. You can do anything for five minutes, 10 minutes. 20 minutes because sometimes it just takes making it through a minute making it through five minutes Mm -hmm. getting on to the next thing feeling a hug from a person who loves you drinking a hot cup of coffee tasting a piece of pie you know melting into the things that are tangible instead of this overwhelming look at the world as a whole and the gloom and doom that you can dive into you know and survival at its core that's what it is. It's looking at things for the smallest pieces and making your way through. And I think that when you have a child with special needs, especially a nonverbal child, you become so in tune with that child. So it's like you are almost feeling what they feel. So at the end of the day, even though it sucks for you and it's hard for you and it's hard for other people in the house and it's frustrating and, you know, sometimes you just don't want to deal with it. You just don't want to deal with it. But at the end of the day, it's not about that. It's about what that child is going through you know and their mm-hmm. bodies going through havoc and they're if they're self-harming or they're hurting themselves you know like and that's usually when it's the worst of the worst those are the type of things that are happening your heart is breaking for them so you just look at it very differently or like somebody from the outside said something has says something really stupid and then you like have to defend your child that kind of like snap you off because when they say something like that's you know just tell them no yeah then you can just get mad at that person instead <laughs> For me, I just keep repeating like, oh yeah, this might suck, but like that's temporary or like people don't die from hard. You just keep going, like just keep going. I also try to remind myself that unbelievable, like right in that moment between it hitting the fan and you recovering (laughs) as a family and you reporting that to people that you need to understand your place and position in this very moment. Like we, we have a crisis plan where my dad is at a certain level of knowledge, like you guys will know about something after it's calmed. My dad will know about something because he's a local resource for us. And just because something sounds unbelievable doesn't mean that it isn't untrue. Mm -hmm. You know, like I just remind myself that this is crazy what I'm about to describe or what I've just lived through or what, you know, we have the comfort of being so isolated that I only talk to my husband, my daughter's providers or you guys (laughs) in large part. 
So you get a lot of like, oh yeah, that's, oh yeah, I've had that happen. But then when you bring it to real that like the rest of the world that continues again, just because it's unbelievable doesn't mean that it didn't happen or that it's untrue. Like I just tell myself all these things lately. I feel like it to Kim's point, I've been telling myself that there's progress someplace for us. We don't have that right now, the simplicity of like behavior and then progress, behavior progress. Cause it's just like all these different lines. Right. But there is progress someplace. I was just going to say too, like uh, for me, something that helps me always keep going is that all those feelings for me come from the same place, like all the joy and all that, but all the hard and wanting to give up comes from a place of love. Like, yeah, I yes. feel like I'm feeling, I feel yes. like for my child but I love my son so much. I know it's really hard to think about it in the moment, but I love my son so much that I feel that about myself. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So remembering that it's like, I'm doing this because I know I'm the best thing for him. And I know that. And you have to remind yourself that, that you love them so much that you're going to keep going. Mm. Oh, Thanks, Corey. Corey, you're the best. Love you so much. That was our question and answer episode. I loved it. If you ever have a question for us, feel free to send it over to our Gmail. That table for five podcasts at gmail.com. Message us on Facebook, Instagram, wherever you like. We love answering your questions. And this has been so fun. And, and if you're listening to this when it comes out and you celebrate it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Yeah. Yay. Merry Christmas. Happy oh, holidays. Happy holidays. All the Happy jingles. Hanukkah, winter solstice, Kwanzaa, whatever holiday you have, we send you a happy good tidings. Celebration. Good We tidings. celebrate with you. Yeah. And we are with you if you're going into the middle of the storm because that's usually this is usually the time. Yeah. Five days, but, right? <laughs> well, we will check everyone next time for our year and wrap up of 2021 bye bye thank you for joining us at the table for our q a episode if you are enjoying the podcast and what you're listening allows we would appreciate if you could rate and review us you can also leave a review on our facebook page make sure to follow us on facebook and instagram if you'd like to contact us you can email us at table for five podcast at gmail.com we have new episodes every Monday. Make sure to join us next week as we wrap up 2021. We'll see you there. Bye.